Welcome to another edition of our online sermon. We are going to be continuing this morning or this afternoon, whenever you're watching this, on Jonah. We're going to be in chapter 3. If you want to make your way in the scriptures to Jonah chapter 3, I would also remind you there's an outline available, either if you're watching this by video, there's a link that you can download an outline, or if you're listening, it will be on the church website, www.chawilaefree.org, and you can follow along because that's always helpful. I should also let you know that we're going to start again this week with a children's sermon. And then after the message, there's going to be a short communion service because this is the first week of the month. So let's pray. Lord God, help us with this time. Help us as we struggle through trying to figure out what you're doing, how our world is at work, and open our hearts up now to your word. And as the children come in in a few minutes, they can also hear a little message for them and you touch their hearts. And Lord, may we all just not just hear, but do what you are calling us to do as doers of the word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, kids. Glad to see you again. We're going to be talking about the next little part of Jonah's life when he obeys God. You remember last week we found Jonah inside of a fish because he had been running from God. God had told him, I want you to go and tell people in Nineveh who I am. And Jonah ran the other way. And then after the fish swallowed him, he was inside of that fish. And you know what Jonah was like? It made me think about this flashlight. See, here's this flashlight. It doesn't have any power. There's no battery inside that flashlight. And Jonah is like an empty flashlight. He looks good on the outside, like maybe he believes in God, but on the inside, he doesn't have God's power. Well, after he spent his three days inside the whale, Jonah changed his mind, and he decided to obey God and go to Nineveh after all. And this was the capital city of his enemies. So when Jonah went, he told everybody in Nineveh about God. And they believed him and agreed to stop acting mean and cruel. And so then Jonah became like a flashlight with batteries. Once the power of God was inside of him, then he could shine for God just like this flashlight because it takes God's power to change people's hearts. So do you know that you're like a flashlight for God also? So the question is, how will you live your life? Well, you can live your life for yourself, trying to get all you can, have the coolest toys and and put other kids down to try to be popular, fight with your brothers and sisters to get your way. But when you do that, you're like a flashlight that doesn't have any batteries. See, there's no power. But You can live and follow and obey Jesus by being kind and by helping others to learn more about God. And then when you're following God and being kind, you're like a flashlight that has power. You have God's power inside of you to shine your light for Jesus. So what kind of a flashlight do you want to be? 
Do you want to be a kind with God's power or an empty flashlight that can't shine for Jesus? So think about that this week. And we're going to move now into the, the message for, for your parents. But you're welcome to stick around and talk about some of the things in that message. And that would be a great thing to do with your family. Well, today I want to talk to you about changing hearts. Again, Jonah chapter 3. I'll start with a story. On the island of Malaita in the South Sea stood a huge rock called the Healing Stone. The stone was the center of pagan worship where chiefs from various villages would offer animal sacrifices. Two Christians had shared Jesus in these various villages, and they were now camped out on a nearby hillside to fast and pray over this healing stone for one week to try to turn around the spiritual climate. On the morning of the seventh day, clouds gathered in the sky, and just as a priest from one of the villages approached this stone to offer this animal as a sacrifice, a bolt of lightning struck the healing stone and split it in half. One piece rolled down the side of the steep mountain, and the priest was so terrified that he dropped his sacrifice and ran. Now, previously, none of the priests had been open to the gospel. No one had responded. And if the priests don't respond, the villages don't respond. But now, one of those priests invited the men to come back and tell them again about Jesus Christ. Soon, some of the priests and many villagers accepted Christ. Well, God is in the business of changing hearts. He can use dramatic lightning bolts or hidden methods, which is the usual way, to bring people to understand who he is. And in the story of Jonah, so far God has used a fierce storm, a suddenly calm sea, an underwater fish transport, and now in Jonah chapter 3, we're going to see God change 120,000 lives all at once. So Jonah chapter 3, verse 1, let's read It says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Well, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah is the only prophet in Scripture, by the way, who is sent directly to a foreign nation to call them to repentance. There are many prophetic words about foreign nations that other prophets give, but Jonah actually went there. Jonah had received his second calling from God inside the whale, so now Nineveh will receive a second chance from God. See, God specializes in second, third, fourth, and more chances. He's giving our world another chance right now. So how will we respond? in this time of calamity. How will we respond? Well, that's playing out right now. Well, what is Nineveh? This place he's going, Nineveh, it's near modern-day Mosul in northern Iraq, and it stood on the banks of the Tigris River. And it was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. The Assyrians had conquered most of the Middle East, and so they were feared. They were intimidating and cruel and and heartless in their methods and ruthless. 
And so here is Jonah in the capital of this huge city, and you can see a artist's rendering of what they think it might have looked like on your screen if you're watching on video. The inner wall that was surrounding um, Nineveh was probably eight miles around, 100 feet high, and 50 feet wide. And it had battle towers in every so many feet that were 200 feet high. And the population inside these inner city walls was 120,000 people. Uh, scholars estimate that in the out, outer part around the city, and there were other walls that were less intimidating, but there might have been as many as 300,000 people in the area of Nineveh. So Nineveh must have filled Jonah with awe and dread with such an up-close picture of his brutal enemy. And yet, God has a compassionate plan for this intimidating people. He just needs someone willing to go. And Jonah, he's outwardly willing. We'll look in the next chapter at some inward stuff that's a little less willing. But for today, he's in Nineveh. He's proclaiming God's message. And number one on your outline, changing hearts includes engaging in God's plan. God wants to use us. And so the first part of that plan of God's is to use us. And he's going to change hearts by having us be engaged in his plan. I want to tell you about Corrie Ten Boom, a Dutch woman that was a Holocaust survivor who after World War II spoke in churches all over the world. And at 80 years of age, Corrie was in a church in Copenhagen, Denmark. And she was presenting uh, a message that was about how we present our bodies to the Lord as a living sacrifice. And she said, even as an old woman, she was willing to go wherever Jesus wanted her to go and do whatever he asked. Well, after church, two young nurses invited Corey to their apartment. Corey was pretty tired after speaking, but she accepted their offer. And she didn't realize that their apartment was on the 10th floor, and there was no elevator. Now, the 10th floor in Europe is the same as our 11th floor because they number their floors starting with zero. So, Corey is silently complaining to the Lord, Oh, God, I don't think I can make it. And when they reach the fifth floor, she's about halfway, her heart is pounding, and her knees felt like rubber. And on the landing, she saw a chair into which she gratefully collapsed. And she prayed again, Lord, why all this stair climbing after an exhausting day of speaking? She heard this answer and her heart come back because there is a blessing waiting for you. And as they trudged up another flight of stairs, Corey wondered if maybe the blessing was that she would die and go to heaven right then. Well, they finally made it to the 10th floor, to the apartment, and the parents of one of the nurses had prepared a meal. And during that meal, Corey struck up conversation and, and was asking in the course of that conversation, she asked the mother if she knew Jesus. Well, the mom admitted she had never trusted Christ. And so Corey explained the gospel to her, and she asked her if, would she be interested? Would she be willing to asked Jesus into her heart. And the woman said, yes. And she, right there on the spot, prayed the prayer to ask Jesus by faith into her heart. 
Well, Corey wasn't done. She turned to the father. He was also willing to make the same decision. He prayed and the room was filled with rejoicing as two new members of the family of God came into the kingdom. And as Corey was descending the many flights of stairs, she said to God, thank you, Lord, for making me walk up these stairs. And next time, Lord, help me to listen to my own words when I talk about being willing to go anywhere you tell me to go. Well, outreach for us, reaching and others to be a part of that heart change is engaging in God's plan. And even when it's challenging, even when it's difficult, even when you're climbing up 11 flights of stairs at age 80. So let me ask you, how engaged are you with those God has brought across your path? How far are you willing to go? How many long staircases and inconveniences are you willing to endure? How willing are you to engage others? Well, like last week, I want to give you a little pause. So if you can pause your player, there will be a question on the screen or it will be on your outline. And here's the question to just stop and talk with some friends or whoever's in the room with you. How engaged are you with those God has brought across your path? Even kids, that would be a great question for discussion. And then we'll be back. Well, that was our first point, that changing hearts involves engaging in God's plan. And now for our second point, we're going to be reading on in Jonah chapter 3, beginning with verse 4. On the first day, Jonah started into the city. He proclaimed, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Verse 5, the Ninevites believed God. They declare a fast, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. So surprisingly, Jonah gets a positive response to God's message. And you might say, well, why? How can this cruel, barbaric people who live by terrorizing all of the people they conquered, how could they respond to a message that simple? Well, records show that Nineveh, the capital of Assyria, had experienced two famines and a total eclipse of the sun a few years before Jonah arrived. And the Assyrians, like the sailors in chapter 2, when the storm came, but the Assyrians, the Ninevites, would have attributed these natural catastrophes to a message from the gods. And so Assyria was also in a period of international struggle. Some nations like Babylon and Judah were rebelling. And Nineveh would have taken this as further evidence that the gods were displeased toward them. So their hearts were opened by these natural disaster of, of famines and a total eclipse and also in their own circumstances of difficult uh, rebellious nations pulling away. But let me pause and ask you, are you praying for a response of repentance in our nation during this calamity of the coronavirus? And while others are willing to wring their hands in fear and anger, can we as Christians pray for revival? 
And a part of praying for revival is for people to hear and see God's hand in their life. And it's also, I think, we should be praying for our government officials, our local officials, our state officials, and our national officials on both sides of the aisle. Are you praying for them, for God to speak to them and lead them as they, as they are sovereignly put in place to accomplish God's purposes? That's part of how we pray for revival. Well, Jonah also, another factor with the back to the Ninevites, Jonah likely arrived bleached white. Remember last week we had talked about James Bartley in 1891 off the coast of, of South America near the Falkland Islands. They, he was found in a whale's stomach and he was partially bleached white from that time he spent inside the whale's stomach. Well, Jonah has been three days inside a fish stomach and those acids in the stomach likely bleached his skin and his hair white so that he would have this striking appearance like an apparition and it would be yet another sign to the Ninevites that something God-oriented and God-sent was coming upon them. See, God is always the key in changing hearts. God can use crises. God can use our circumstances or whatever is going on to soften people's hearts. He is the change agent who prepares hearts and changes lives. It's not our perfect techniques, our smooth tongue oratory, or doing just the right thing at just the right way. And so it's about God, what he, can, he is doing and how he's changing hearts. So we can relax. The pressure's off. We can also focus on our life being a witness because that's the most powerful thing we have is our story and our life. And God is the one who changes hearts. Oswald Chambers in his devotional, My Utmost for His Highest, he wrote this, quote, we look for God to manifest himself to his children while God manifests himself in his children, end quote. So we need to be engaged in God's plan and we need to be engaged with God to make the changes. Let's move on with this point number two, chapter three, verse six. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth and sat down in the dust. Verse seven, then he issued a proclamation in Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let any man or beast, herd or flock taste anything. Do not let, that, let them eat or drink, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Verse 9, who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion Turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. Well, the king leads repentance in a traditional ancient Near East fashion. They fasted all from all food and drink, and they put on scratchy sackcloth to express humiliation. We can see this idea of fasting even now in the Middle East during Ramadan, which is right now, and they don't drink any food or any drink or water, nothing touches their mouth from sunrise to sunset. 
So maybe the origins go thousands of years earlier. But back in Nineveh in ancient times, they also sat in dust to express ruin and distress and sorrow. They begged God with urgencies to please spare us, God. Please, we will change. So like the pagan sailors, the Ninevites have the beginnings of faith. See, for us, when we are involved with people and reaching out to them on behalf of God as his his ambassadors, faith often unfolds in stages. Like, for instance, they may be exploring new ideas and trying to figure out how this all works. They may be in relationship to Christians. One survey said the average person who comes to believe in Jesus had a relationship with eight Christians. And they may try it on, like doing a service project uh, with a group of people that are faith-based. They might get involved in a small group or some other way. They may perhaps attend church, but maybe not. They may wait a while before they really trust. See, coming to faith may be, for some, gradual. And one day you ask them, well, what was the day and the, and the hour that you asked Christ into their, your heart? And they may not be able to answer you. But they came to this realization one day, you know, somewhere in all of that, I just crossed over into a settled belief. And I believe Jesus is God's son and he died for my sins. And now I just know that I know it. And so we have stages and we have to engage people in whatever stage they are in. See, as humans, we feel like we have to add something to salvation, that it needs to get earned, that it's just too easy to just believe. But the good news is about what Jesus has done, not what we have done. There's this uh, fable that was told that there was a simple shepherd's pipe that Moses used when he was in the wilderness for those 40 years watching over his father-in-law Jethro's sheep. And this pipe played a clear, beautiful tone in this fable. But after Moses became a great leader, this musical pipe was placed in a museum. But it looked too simple, so it was embellished with gold and silver over time. And years later, still more decorations were added. And eventually, the once simple pipe became an elaborate work of art. However, it no longer played a beautiful, clear tone. See, when we add to the message about Jesus, we are changing the gospel's original, beautiful, clear tone. So will we let the Holy Spirit do his work without us adding expectations before a person comes to faith. You got to do this. You got to clean your life up. You have to look like this, dress like that. Just let them come to faith because it's the Holy Spirit's work. And let's don't add a bunch of things to coming to Jesus Christ. So number two on your outline, changing hearts includes being faithful to God's message. Changing hearts includes being faithful to God's message. Let me ask a question on this point. How would you explain God's message to another person? Can you share about your own relationship with God in a simple way to help connect them to God? Your most powerful tool 
is your own testimony, your own story. So can you share that story in a simple way to help someone figure out maybe how they could connect to God? Or are you perhaps afraid you won't do it right, so you shy away from sharing at all? You don't want to say anything at all, so you don't share because I'm afraid, oh, I might mess it up. Only the professional pastor, somebody is the person who can do this. But that's not true. You have your story. It's a powerful tool. Our part is to simply help others understand how they can have a relationship with God. We can meet God at whatever stage they are in as they journey toward God. We can help them with that stage. So let me go back, and if you can pause your player again and ask or talk with another person, how would you explain God's message to someone? We're back again for our third and final point. So far, we've said that changing hearts includes engaging in God's plan, that changing hearts is being faithful to God's message. And now our third point starts with Jonah, chapter 3, verse 10. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. See, God accomplished the original purpose he had intended all along. He did not have to impose his plan of destruction. See, the Ninevites didn't just mouth the words or just say it. They actually changed their behavior, according to the text. But, historically, their repentance did not change Nineveh permanently. History continued to record their cruelty and barbarity in the next generation. So perhaps the Ninevites only changed temporarily. Perhaps they did not carry that change deep enough into their heart where it lasted the rest of their life. Clearly, they did not pass along the spiritual heritage to their children. You see, it's not enough just to make a profession of faith. We need to learn to follow Jesus. See, our third point then is changing hearts includes mentoring new followers. Changing hearts includes mentoring new followers. See, when someone responds to God, we need to follow up and help them grow in their faith. So back to that, why didn't Nineveh change? Nahum, which is another prophet after Jonah, he would later prophesy about Nineveh in Nahum Chapter 1, verse 14, it says, and this is Nahum's direct message to Nineveh, the Lord has given a command concerning you, Nineveh. You will have no descendants to bear your name. I will destroy the carved images and cast idols that are in the temple of your gods. I will prepare your grave, for you are vile. So, chilling prophecy that was given, and God did bring judgment about 150 years later. In 612 BC, the Babylonian Empire overthrew Nineveh and the Assyrian Empire. The Babylonian Empire was farther south. It's also in Iraq, but whereas the Assyrian Empire was in north Iraq, near Turkey and Syria, 
The Babylonian Empire was south of that, and Iran was across the border, and they became the powerful empire that we'll read a lot more about in the Old Testament in regards to Judah. So they overthrew about 612, the Babylonians overthrew Nineveh, the capital of Assyria, and the whole Assyrian Empire collapsed. So this destruction of Nineveh was so complete. Remember that picture of how grand of a city it was that about around 100 BC, so 500 years later, a Roman military leader walked right by the once spectacular Nineveh and did not even realize it was there under the mounds of sand. See, apparently no one did the spiritual follow-up on the Ninevites. Nobody checked to see and help them grow in their relationship with Yahweh God. One last story that would show we need to be involved and we need to help nourish and nurture and mentor young believers. On the quiet streets of a fishing village at the mouth of a rushing river, a cry rang out, a boy has fallen into the river. Quickly, a crowd gathered and anxious eyes looked out over the rushing water to the figure of a drowning boy clinging to a tree branch on the other side of the river. A rope was brought, and the strongest swimmer in the village tied the rope around his waist and jumped into the, to the water to rescue the boy and threw the other end of the rope to the crowd as he dove into the river. The crowd anxiously watched him fight the powerful current, and a cheer went up when he reached the boy and grasped him safely in his powerful arms. He shouted over the rushing water, Pull in the rope! The villagers looked from one to another. Who's holding the rope? No one was holding the rope. In the excitement of watching the rescue, the crowd let the other end of the rope slip into the water, and they now watched in horror as two people were swept down the river because no one took responsibility to do their part. They assumed somebody else would. See, we are God's lifeline to a drowning world. We are responsible to hold our end of the rope in God's plan by engaging those God brings across our path. And then when someone is a new believer, they need to be nurtured in spiritual community. They need to be mentored. The old word we used long ago was discipled. See, Jesus didn't command us to make converts, but to make disciples. So last question, and this will be your discussion question. How will you help enfold a new convert into faith community instead of assuming someone else will do it. Who will you nurture and pour into your spiritual life? This is why Jesus established his body. So take a minute, pause your player, and talk about this question. How will you help enfold a new convert into faith community? Don't assume somebody else will do it. How will you do it? And then after the pause, we'll have a time of communion.
As we move into the communion portion of this service, I want us to reflect on ourselves. We just learned about the Ninevites who repented when they heard the message of God. But are we ready? Yes, Jesus Christ has come since then. Jesus Christ took on flesh, became a man, died for our sins in our place as a substitutionary sacrifice. And so we sometimes come just as a ritual, just as something that we do every month. But I'd like us to think about ourselves. The Ninevites repented. They knew that the message of God demanded a response. So what is our response? I'd like to read to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 28. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. And so often we forget about the preparation part, the confessing of our sins, the experiencing of the blood of Jesus, not only cleansing us, but forgiving our sins. And so we need to take a little bit of time. And I'm going to give you some time to reflect. But I would like to say first, a community prayer of confession. And so this prayer is something that we can say together. Uh, the words will be on your screen if you're watching by video or printed on the outline. And would you say this together with me, this prayer of confession, and then we're going to have some time of silence for each of us to remember what Jesus has done, to take this communion in a way that honors what he does because we aren't taking it lightly. So we prepare our hearts. So here's this prayer of penitence, a prayer of confession. Ready? Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us. Help us to change what we are and direct what we shall be, that we may do justly love mercy, and walk humbly with you to the glory of your name. Amen. So now take a half a minute or so just to talk to God, to just confess anything that is in between you and him as a barrier. So we'll now just have a time of reflection. These are the communion elements. The bread represents the body of Jesus Christ, which was broken for us. The cup represents or symbolizes the blood of Jesus Christ, which 
the blood of the sacrificial animal had to be shed. For it says in Hebrews, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. But Jesus' blood would ultimately be the final and complete and infinite sacrifice. So now, if you have prepared your elements, Jesus said on the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, take, eat this in remembrance of me. After the Passover meal, he took the cup. And when he had given thanks, he said to them, drink all of this in remembrance of me. For this is the blood of the new covenant. So take and drink in remembrance of him. Let's close with prayer. Lord God, we thank you for the story of Jonah, for the story of the reluctant and resistant prophet, that even though he didn't follow you, Lord, he did come to be a tool that you used to bring over 120,000 people to faith in following Yahweh God. And we pray now, Lord, as we remember the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, that we might live in a manner that is worthy of you as we have confessed, that we, Lord, might go from this place being people that can be your tools to change hearts like Jonah did. Lord, may we be people that are engaged in your plan because we engage with the people around us. May we take care with your message to not add to it, to not distort it, but to just proclaim the pure truth that Jesus Christ came and died for our sins. And all we have to do is place our faith and trust in that sacrifice and that we can now live a life for you through your Holy Spirit. And Lord, may we also engage with those who are new believers or even those who are deciding to believe to nourish them in their faith so that faith can grow, so the enemy may not come and snatch away that seed. So we pray, Lord, that this communion service would remind us that it all comes from you. You are the change agent. You are the forgiving and cleansing agent as this communion has reminded us. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.